the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy and ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. We have some terrific conservatives in thinking and writing and speaking. Matt Walsh is one of them. Matt Walsh is the host of the Matt Walsh show on the Daily Wire. I was just on the Daily Wire a show with some of the guys there two nights ago. They're terrific. His new book is Church of Cowards, a wake-up call to complacent Christians. Matt, welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. Hey, Dennis. Thanks for having me on. What's the, uh, what is a complacent Christian? Well, I think it describes uh, Christians and probably religious people in general in the West, uh, that we, we live such comfortable lives. We're sort of floating on the tide of the culture and going wherever the culture takes us. And when you compare that especially to Christians over, over, uh, overseas and the, the very real persecution that goes on there, uh, you know, we have sort of the exact opposite problem of, of this, uh, our ability to avoid suffering and to live such comfortable lives, I think, has led us into uh, led us into decline. And how does that decline manifest itself? Well, I think it manifests itself in many ways. I mean, you, you, look, you could look at just what the, at the statistics, and they'll tell you that whatever it is, 80 percent of, of the United States claims to be Christian, and that number is, is going down. And for religious people in general, we know the number is going down, the number of secular people and atheists is going up. But I think the numbers are a lot worse than what they tell you, because if you were to actually talk to some of those supposed religious people and ask them what they really believe and ask them about the doctrines of their faith, you're going to find that a startling number of them don't actually buy into many of those doctrines. And so that's what's happening, is that people are, are even those who still claim the faith, are, are, are beginning to uh, get rid of bits and pieces here that they don't like, especially the ones that call them to sacrifice and the ones that deal with obedience and morality and reverence. We don't like any of that. We throw that aside. And we start constructing a, a faith for ourselves that uh, is all about making our lives in the here and now more comfortable, which is really the exact opposite of what faith is, is supposed to be doing. Well, uh, you get an amen from me. Uh, you know, of course, I'm sure, I know. I know you know I'm Jewish and I'm a religious Jew. And the Indianapolis Jewish Federation uh, for the Jewish holiday of Purim put out a flyer that uh, people should celebrate with them at a drag queen reading hour for the Jewish holiday of Purim. This is put out. I have a copy of the flyer by the Indianapolis Jewish Federation, and uh, that, uh, that is happening in, as, if you will, mainstream Judaism, mainstream Protestantism, and mainstream, well, that particular one wouldn't be in the mainstream of Catholicism, but th- they have other left-wing positions. Th- so I, I, I'm simply echoing what you're saying. So what, what, are you, what do you propose in your book? 
I think I'd I propose, first of all, at the beginning stage here, uh, and I, I think with an issue like this, and you're talking about something like the decline of faith, people always want the one, two, three, four, five-step plan, you know, do this, do that, do that, and we'll solve the problem. I, I don't think that there is quite a, a plan like that. Anybody peddling a plan that simple is probably, uh, I don't know if we should listen to them. So I, I think it's got to be more sort of broader and more abstract. But I, I think it begins with very basic. Uh, if, you're, if you're a religious person, you're a person of faith, uh, ask yourself, do you actually believe all of the claims that you make? We, we do make some rather startling and extraordinary claims. Uh, about the nature of reality, the nature of the world. Do you really believe those things? If you don't, if you, if you say to yourself, you know what, I don't actually buy this, I don't know if I believe it, then okay, then go and, and, and try to live your life without that belief. Try to live your life uh, you know, without a deeper meaning to anything, and then see how that, see how that feels. Uh, try, to, try to walk in those shoes, and maybe you'll discover some of the problems there. But if you really do believe it, then, then and the next step is to look at our lives and, and, and realize that that belief should infiltrate every single aspect of our of our lives. Everything we do should be affected by that faith that we claim. And I think what we'll find, I know that what I often find when I do this inventory, is that there's so many aspects of my life that I've that I've sort of put aside. I'm, I'm stashing in a box in the side of the room and saying that, well, no, that's exempt from faith. Faith has nothing to do with that. Um, but of course, it can't be that way. Everything we do has has implications uh, to our faith, and so we should try to to live that way. You have a chapter, I'm speaking to Matt Walsh of Daily, The Daily Wire, Church of Cowards, a wake-up call to complacent Christians. Uh, before I get to this chapter on, on what you call virtues, why do you use the word cowards? Uh, is that the, do you think that's the animating principle of the decline of seriousness in, in Christendom today? Cowardice or... or ideology or both i think it's sort of all of the above uh i think it was uh i, I believe it was c.s lewis paraphrasing who said that courage is the, the the substance of every virtue at its testing point uh i might have butchered that uh so so that's that's what courage is and then what, what you find with cowardice is sort of the, the lack of all virtues, kind of the opposite of that and uh, i think that's what we see what, what we see in the culture uh, so it, it is cowardice. I also put complacency in there in the, in the subtitle. I think all of these things are wrapped together. We're afraid of um, sacrifice. We're, we're, we're afraid of trying to live our lives according to some greater truth beyond, our, beyond ourselves. So there is, there is, I think, fear and cowardice in that. You have this as a variant of the false virtues. So you list, for example, welcoming acceptance and tolerance and then under judgment you say that's the that's the one they most fear i mean this is so up my alley i i can't you know i can't endorse this highly enough matt walsh's book church of cowards a wake-up call to complacent christians so what type of church do you attend uh, i'm catholic so i i go to the catholic church and uh, i I, I, I write this book uh, not just about Catholicism, about Christianity generally, but these problems I'm talking about are, are certainly very much manifested in the, the modern Catholic Church. Yeah, uh, well, I want to uh, good. So let me. I want to talk to you about that. Do you, as a Catholic, uh, do you uh, go to a, a, a Latin Mass or English Mass? Uh, we we kind of go to both. We have a, a Latin masses are, are few and far between, unfortunately, these days. We have one that's a bit of a drive from the house, but we try to make it there as much as we can. 
uh, our home parish is uh, is uh, Nova Sordo, which is just a you know, sort of the standard uh, modern version of the mass. But I, I, I do love the, the Latin mass because it, it feels like you're walking into something that's elevated and sacred and and uh, and, and mystical even. And I think that's what the church experience should be. It, so I don't have obviously I don't have a, a, you know a, a hyena in this race, but it I I would have bet. And I'm not a betting man at all. I'm not a gambler. But I still would have bet that the rationale, oh, you know, more people will understand the Mass and therefore uh, more people will come to church has not materialized. Would I have won that yes. bet? You, you you have won that bet uh, very much. You've won, you've won a lot of money, however much you put on it. Uh, yeah, it, 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 hasn't, it hasn't worked out. It makes sense that it hasn't worked out when you think about it because— uh, if what, what's happened in the Catholic Church is that they've they've tried to make in so many churches they've tried to make the church going experience look and feel exactly like everything else in the culture, so that you you, you don't even notice that you're in the church in, in, in many cases. Even for, even going down to the architecture of the church itself, you wouldn't even know based on that that it's actually a church. And I think what happens is people people that go to church and they start thinking, why am I even here? What what am I getting here that I can't get anywhere else? In the culture, there's, there's there's no point to even the music. You know, they try to make the secular music that sounds like the stuff you hear on the radio. Well, you know, I can get that stuff on the radio. Number one, and it's better on the radio because your version of it is is, is not only uh, secular but it's lame, it's bad on top of it. So uh, that that's the problem. People are making that calculation. You have to give them something that is elevated above. I think what they get in the broader culture. I don't know even if you'll agree with me, but I will tell you that uh, on a few occasions in my broadcast career, I have raised the question of what you wear to church. And I have been uh, surprised at how many devout and even conservative Christians have said, God doesn't care what you wear to church, which I don't agree with at all, at all. I'm 100% in disagreement with it. Uh, uh, What is your take? Yeah, I, I agree with with you. Uh, I think that uh, now, if if, if you're going to tell me that you're very poor, you can't afford any other clothes, all you have is tattered rags, and that's all. Then yes, go to church in your tattered rags. But well, that's not the case for, for almost any of us. We, we we do have nicer formal attire. All you have to do is ask yourself, you know, if you're going to uh, someone to honor someone, uh, you know, the retirement or something at a, at a banquet, or if you're going to a wedding. I mean, everybody agrees that you, you dress up for that. Why do you do it? out of respect for the person that you're there to honor. Well, if you, if you dress up to respect a person and honor a person, then why wouldn't you dress up to honor God? It doesn't, that's just, the logic doesn't make any sense. You know, that's exactly the argument. <laughs> exactly. I just ask people, if you got a ticket to the Academy Awards, would you dress up better than you do going to church? What does that say? God doesn't care what you wear to church, but God does care what you wear to the Academy Awards. I, I just, or, or even worse, uh, God doesn't care, but people care. But So people care what you wear to the Academy Awards, but not to church. There's just been a cheapening. But what I'm thinking when I'm listening to you is, I, I, I realized this so many years ago, that conservative uh, Catholics, Protestants, and Jews have so much more in common than they have that separate them, just like liberal Catholics, liberal Protestants, and liberal Jews have so much more in common than what separates them. You, yes, you agree yeah, with I, that? 
Yeah, I do. I do. And I, that's why I think that there, I, I see a little bit of this, this unity um, among conservative religious people in the culture. And I think there's a lot of reason for it. Now, I guess sometimes people get squeamish about it because they, 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 they don't want to act as though the, the theological differences are irrelevant. Of course, they're not irrelevant. They're important. But uh, we, as conservative religious people, what, what's, what's our main unifying principle? Well, we, we believe in that there's a, a greater meaning to life. There is a, a God who we uh, submit ourselves to, who we are obedient to. There's, a, there's an objective moral order to things. We don't just make it up as we go along. These are some really strong foundational things that we agree on um, and that uh, and, and that I think should, should bring us together at least to fight these calls. Yes, battles. which is what we are. That's why, you're, you, that's why you and I are allies. That's exactly right. I'm curious, how do you, uh, as a Catholic, how do you uh, deal with the Pope, the current Pope, theologically and emotionally? Well, emotionally, honestly, it is it is difficult as a conservative Catholic. Uh, one, because I think many conservative Catholics we have we have this we get the distinct impression that he's not big fans of us, and we we, we get these snide comments from the Pope, even things like the comedy made a few years ago about uh, Catholics who have a lot of kids, and you know we, we don't have to be like rabbits having a lot of kids. Well, the thing is that's and I you know I've got four kids, I'm, I'm young, and so we're just starting out, but uh, but. That's that. Those are the kinds of comments we hear it from everybody else in the culture. We don't want to hear from. The I, culture. Did, I didn't know. I didn't know he said that. That is that is mind blowing to me. Yeah, yeah. It, it is one of the great virtues of of religious Jews, Catholics, Mormons, Protestants that they have a lot of kids. Exactly, and that's and and it makes us feel like you know we have one of the reasons we have a lot of kids is because we take the doctrines of Catholicism seriously and we believe them and we follow them. So what are you telling us as the Pope? Are you telling us we're silly, we're, we're, we're ridiculous for, for taking these things seriously? Should we not be? So it's, it's, and that's, I guess the main thing is just confusion. There's a lot of confusion we get from the Vatican now. Things are said, and then they back, back away from it. We don't know exactly well, what, what we need in the culture. There's so much fog of confusion. What we need from our church leaders, religious leaders, is a, is a light, you know, a, a lighthouse on the shore showing us which way to go. And uh, but we get we get the exact opposite. We get obfuscation, and we get uh, just more more fog and confusion. You uh, you have an important book here, Matt. Church of Cowards: A Wake Up Call to Complacent Christians. Been great to talk to you. Good luck with the book. Thanks a lot, Dennis. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Albert Moeller for townhall.com. The Supreme Court of the United States heard arguments last week in the first big abortion case since the confirmation of Justices Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch. The case is known as June Medical Services v. Russo. It comes from a Louisiana state law passed in 2014 requiring abortion clinics to have physicians who are recognized with admitting privileges at local hospitals. Pro-abortion advocates are using the case to argue that if a woman has a constitutional right to abortion, then she must have a constitutional right to access to abortion. It's a very deadly logic. 
Pro-life Americans seem not yet to understand what's at stake in this case, but tellingly, the pro-abortion side understands it full well. The issues at stake are enormous. I'm Albert Moeller. Considering a career in politics? Consider Pepperdine's Graduate School of Public Policy, America's unique graduate program for leaders. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu.